Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Having met you, my name's Terry McHugh, part of the pastoral team. I serve as executive pastor here. I always feel funny saying that. It makes me sound kind of pompous and bombastic. Um, I'm really not that important. But what a gift to be able to be together today. We're starting a new worship series. I'll talk about that a little bit more. But 21 years since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Some of you in this room and some of you watching online weren't even born. Or you were kids. And yet the, the memory continues on. And it's a day that many will never forget. I'm originally from the New York area. I've been in Cleveland forever, but um, I still have family in Connecticut and New York. My younger brother lives in New York City still. And my brother Steve was playing tennis not that far for where the towers went down and saw that day. This summer, we took a trip. My old, our oldest son, Mike, his wife, Laurel, our grandkids, Carter and Lizzie. Carter's 10, Lizzie's 7. We went to visit my stepmom in Connecticut and spend some time in New York City. So we went to the memorial, and we had some time, some time there together at Ground Zero. Ta-da! I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's, there's a tree at Ground Zero called the Survivor Tree. On, at, in the weeks after 9-11, when workers were going to the site and going through the rubble, it was the only living thing they found at Ground Zero. It was between two cement blocks, and it was charred. The trunk was charred. The, a lot of the roots were missing. There was just a branch or so left. They were going to just leave it for dead. But one of the workers, Rebecca Cloud, begged that they would take the tree and try to nurse it back to health. So they took it to a nursery, and, and with much care and effort, it got back to life. And it, in 2010, they felt it was ready to go back to the memorial, and so it's planted there today, the calorie pear tree. And it went from, it was about eight feet high, and now it's um, 30 feet. There was a moment when we were there where Lizzie was sitting under the shadow of the branches of the tree, and it gave me great hope. Now, our, our series is called A Sight for Sore Eyes. It comes out, of, our tagline comes out of the reading that we heard today. I've worn glasses since I was a kid can't see anything without them. And every year I have to go for a vision check and get a new prescription. And so in the same way, we need to check in on our vision and the story, which is the only miracle that has two parts. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Sometimes we need a second touch 
and we need to return to things. We just finished our teaching series on Proverbs, on the wisdom literature, and there's one proverb that has stuck with me many, many years. I first heard it, and there was something many, in the 1990s, so yeah, I'm old, um, in the United Methodist Church, of which we're part. That was called Vision 2000, and I was a layperson at the time and active in my church, and I was on that team, and I was so excited. And Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that has stuck with me, the importance of vision for God's people. God provides a vision, and we need to follow it. The first time, this is a little fun fact, that I ever crossed paths with Pastor Chip was at a, a Vision 2000 event. He was on stage introducing some of the speakers. I didn't talk to him. I didn't get his autograph or anything, but um, that was the first time I saw him, that vision. And, and vision has been very important to me ever since. So we're revisiting our vision. Um, we need a second touch. And Pastor Chip then, in the next couple of weeks, will flesh out how we're going to follow the vision, continue to follow the vision in this year. While they're very different, 9-11 and what we've been through with the pandemic the last few years have both been very traumatic. Lives have been lost. Lives have been disrupted. Many of you have lost loved ones friends and family through the pandemic. We continue to live in a world with political unrest and racial unrest, and division that seems to get more pronounced, not less. And so it's important to continue to move the mission and, and do the work that God has called us to. You know, before the pandemic hit, Garfield Memorial was in a very healthy place and growing and, and connecting diverse people, worshiping God, glorifying God. And then when the pandemic hit, we were able to pivot very quickly. We had online worship already. We did lots of things to try to keep connected. This seems like such old history just a couple years ago, but we had Monday musings online and we had worship Wednesdays and faith on Fridays and time for prayer with teachers and or parents and students and and many other small groups online. And so we were able to stay connected. But the church in general, in America and throughout the world, has really been disrupted, and we've seen some trends really amplified by what's happened with the pandemic. And so just right before, you know, timing's everything, right before March 2020, we had contracted with a national consultant to go through a visioning process. Kyle, who... Um, led the offering and read the scripture, was part of that team, many others. So we had assembled a team. We hadn't begun work yet, and then everything shut down. And we didn't know what to do. At first, we thought, should we even go ahead with it? But as we prayed and discerned, we said, is there a better time to pray and think about God's vision for God's church? And so the, the team went ahead. We, our consultant, it was the first time ever that he conducted these kinds of consultations, which involved monthly meetings that were two, three, four hours long, on Zoom, there were a few growing pains. It was a little rough at times, but we, we did it. And we know that many of you have, uh, are newer to the church, and we thank God that God has continued to draw people to Garfield. And who, when I'm talking about the vision, you might not know what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk very briefly. I promise I'm not going to talk that long about it. But just to share the, the vision, the mission that was discerned and you, if you've been here, you might have heard it in offerings and, and other ways, but the mission is to widen the circle, 
and to connect diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. Our core values, they're also in our lobbies. Safety. The church needs to be a safe place. We can get our feelings hurt everywhere else, but it also needs to be a safe place to search. People are in different places in their faith journey and their journey with God. Authenticity. We seek to be real. We don't, put on, we don't want to put on pretenses. Just be our authentic selves. Diversity. In every way you can imagine, the kinds you can see and the kinds you can't see. Because God's church has everybody, and we want to be faithful to that. Transformation. We need to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. More and more, we need to be transformed from our brokenness into wholeness. We can only do that by the power of God. And then reconciliation. We're going to hear more about that in just a second, but the world needs reconciliation. The world needs to be brought together and to have healing of those divisions and those wounds and those hurts and those disagreements that we share. The 10-year vision, I'm going to read, the renaissance of reconciliation. In the next 10 years, as part of this world's broken community, we will seek to become transformed by Jesus as we pursue a renaissance of reconciliation for all people while living into the beloved community together. And then on, the, on our website and on our sheet, we have some words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that are so profound and so deep. And he says, but the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding and goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age. Anybody experienced some deep gloom lately? Into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of people. Renaissance of reconciliation, our 10-year vision. So we're grounding ourselves today as we look, go to look forward in this series, A Sight for Sore Eyes. And the first thing we see is we need a touch from Jesus. Verse 22 says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. This is very interesting to me. Notice that they said they wanted Jesus to touch him. It didn't say heal. They brought their friend so he could be touched by Jesus. We need touch. Research shows that infants, newborns, even in the first hours of birth, they need that skin-to-skin -skin contact with a human being. It helps them regulate all their systems, their breathing. It helps them cry less. And as adults, we need physical touch too. Physical touch can help reduce blood pressure and anxiety. It can help us calm down. It can help us feel connection. We need touch. There's even a term for, for those who don't get enough touch. It's called touch starvation. It's a thing. And I remember in my uh, home church, there was a, a woman who lived alone who was part of the, the church, and she told me one time that the only time she had touch with another person was when we, we gathered in a prayer circle and held hands. And how precious to her and how life-giving to her was the opportunity to have a simple touch. And Pastor Chip has talked about this. I think we've all felt it. One of the things that the pandemic robbed from us for a time was touch. No hugs, no handshakes, stay six feet apart. 
We wanted to follow rules and you know, say, encourage safety. Safety is one of our, our top core value. But we lost something in that. But Jesus knows that we need touch. And Jesus is the one who brings that touch and helps us to feel that. You may have noticed in Michelangelo's painting and the Sistine Chapel, the creation of Adam. Maybe hard to see, but there's a space between God's hand and Adam's hand. What you may not know is in 1512, when the painting was finished, the administrative cardinals, which sound even more pompous than my title, went to him, Michelangelo, and they said, you can't have God's hand and Adam's head touching as it was in the original painting. And he had to change it. He had to make a gap. I don't know whether they thought that God is too holy to touch people or they wanted to emphasize the, the space between God and humans. But Jesus comes to close that gap. Jesus comes to be the touch. The word made flesh. And God, Jesus touches in ways that are so profound. And just like Jesus was always eating with the wrong people, he was criticized for eating with sinners and tax collectors and all those that were not in the right place in society. He also touched people that were considered to be untouchable. In that day and age, it was thought that if you were unclean ceremonially, if you had touched certain things, uh, if women were menstruating, they were unclean, uh, just many, many things, if, if someone was unclean, you couldn't touch them because the thought was that you would be contaminated. Well, Jesus comes, and he turns that on its head. And what is seen as unclean becomes clean when Jesus touches. When he heals a leper, the leper becomes clean. It was illegal to even touch lepers. So Jesus touched people, and they were healed. They experienced sight hearing, even new life. But Jesus' touch also helped to diminish isolation and anxiety to bring those who were outcasts closer into the circle. We need Jesus' touch. And Jesus came to, to close that gap. But this passage also says we need a second touch. And maybe a third or a fourth. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. After Jesus leads the man out, you heard it, he spits into the man's eyes. Now, I think that's gross. But, I mean, it was Jesus. So I guess I'd take it. Um, but in that day and age, sometimes, you know, saliva is warm. Some people say that that might have soothed if his eyes were in pain, if they were sore. And that it was used, spit was used as a medical treatment. Um, glad that is no longer the case. But, so he, he, then he asked the man a question. He says, can you see anything? And the man says, I see people, they're like trees walking. And then he touches him again. Now, Jesus didn't need to ask the question, he's God. Jesus knew 
that the man wasn't seeing clearly yet. But he needed the man to, to say that. And then he gave him a second touch. And his eyes were opened, his vision was restored, and he saw clearly. Now, on the surface, it might seem like it didn't work the first time. It's like Jesus like, be healed. Did it work? No? Be healed. God at that time, yes. But Jesus can heal any way he wants. He can heal with a touch. He can heal with words. He can heal with a thought. He can heal a hurricane. He can bring someone back to life. So there's something when the only time there's a two-step or two-part miracle, we have to pay attention. And what is God trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that sometimes we do need a second touch, that salvation happens in a moment, but growing into the likeness of Christ takes a lifetime. We need to be growing and changing and being transformed. And it doesn't happen instantly. I love the quote from an interview, Maya Angelou, the great poet and writer. She said, when someone comes up to me and says, I'm a Christian, I say, really? Already? You've got it figured out? I'm still working on it. And she was in her 80s when she said that. In the Wesleyan movement, which we're a part of as part of the United Methodist Church, they used to say, we're going on to perfection. Now, that's not going on to perfectionism. That would be going on the legal end. That would be pharisaical. But the, the expectation that we're going to continue to change and grow. The theological word is sanctification. Sanctifying grace that continues to help us grow and become more like Jesus. One spiritual writer says one way to kind of see how you're doing in your spiritual growth is to ask yourself two questions. One, am I more or less irritable lately? Two, am I more or less discouraged lately? So if I'm feeling more irritable and I'm feeling more discouraged, then I know I need another touch from Jesus. And some of you might be thinking, well, okay, I get that. I get we need more than one touch from Jesus. I get we need to grow. But sometimes we feel stuck between touches. There's a gap. There's a great old preacher, no longer with us, but David Lloyd-Jones, and he did a, preached a sermon on this passage. And he talked about how people in his congregation would be very upset because they'd feel like they were stuck between touches. They may have accepted Christ as Savior, but not experienced that sense of grace and love and assurance. Or maybe they had done kind of a rational intellectual search and read the scriptures and believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, believed that he's the Lord, but they didn't have a sense of living it out, and so they'd feel like they were Christians, but they were not really Christians. And so he would talk to them, and he would talk about the story, and he would say, that question, when Jesus says, do you see anything? The man could have said, yeah, everything's great. Thank you so much. And then he would have spent his life cutting down people and talking to trunks. I was very excited to tell that joke. I can tell that you were not as excited to hear it. But that means it's a Terry joke. 
I have a lot of growing to do. <laughs> Preaching to myself. But the man had a holy dissatisfaction. Do you? Do I? He knew that he wasn't where he needed to be, where he wanted to be, so he confessed, I can kind of see, but I kind of can't. And then Jesus touched him again. So unless you're saying to Jesus that I'm not there yet, I'm still not seeing clearly, we're not going to be able to go on to that. But there's another thing here. We need community. Did you see it said, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now these were his friends. You say, Terry, how do you know they were friends? Well, they brought this man to be touched by Jesus. They had loved on him and prayed on him. Do you think the man could have found Jesus without his friends? No, he couldn't see. So they brought him. Do you have a list of people that you're praying for that you want to bring to the touch of Jesus? Have you invited someone maybe to worship or to a microchurch or small group or house of prayer? Who are you having coffee with, spending time with, building those relationships, sharing that touch with? We know that isolation and loneliness are huge and getting worse. There's one researcher who says that one in four adults says they have no one with whom they can talk about important matters. No one. 20 years ago, that was one in 10. So it's getting exponentially worse. We need connection. We need community. We need people that we can be with that say, you know, you, I think you see a little better than me. Can you help me? Help me see better. There was a man, man named Michael May. He was blinded at age three in a tragic accident. At 45, he had transplant surgery to restore his sight. And he said that when the doctors took off the bandages from his eyes, everything looked like a wild abstract painting. The moon looked like a street lamp. As he left the hospital, he was asking his wife, what's that, what's that? Trying to match what he was seeing with the names of things and trying to get in focus. He tried to play catch with his, with his son and well, that didn't go well. But it was because of the community of his wife, his family, his friends that walked alongside him that helped him see more clearly. And today his sight has been completely restored. We can't do it alone. We need one another. Pastor Chip is going to talk more about that next week and ways that we can connect and be in community. It also took a community to nurse that survivor tree back to health from its brokenness. It took a team of arborists and horticulturists and, and others to spend time and care. And when they took the survivor tree back to the memorial or to the memorial they let, let the wound show to the public we have a picture of it it's kind of hard to see but this was evidence of the devastation and the trauma that the tree went through now there were some people who said that they shouldn't even return the tree to the memorial because it was a different species have we heard that before And others said, you shouldn't show the wound. It'll make people uncomfortable. I wonder if 
if the tree could talk. I wonder what stories it would tell of being in the rubble and almost left for dead, of experiencing new life and hope. I wonder. And it made me think about, in 2017, I was part of the group from Garfield that went to the Holy Land with Pastor Chip and Terry Freed. And it went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where there's groves of olive trees. Now, some people say that those, these trees were there in Jesus' time. It's possible that the night that Jesus went and prayed in the garden in agony with his disciples, and they kept falling asleep, And Jesus said, let this cup be taken from me three times. He asked for another touch three times. And then he ended up going to the cross, that tree, that he would not survive so that he could give us new life. There was a poem I remember, actually from seminary. It was by Lucy Shaw. It's called Mary's Song, and it envisions what Mary might have been thinking as she was pregnant with Jesus. Older than eternity, this is the last few verses, now he is new, now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. The resurrected Jesus still had his wounds. He still had the marks of the nails in his hands and his feet. And when he went into the upper room, the disciples saw that. He didn't hide it. Well, the survivor tree had a baby. In fact, 421 of them, seedlings. And there was an assistant principal who took it on to take these seedlings to an agricultural school in Queens, New York, the John Bowne High School in 2013, where they have been tended by students. They have an agricultural program. And every year, every year, the memorial gives these seedlings to three communities that have suffered loss, devastation, school shootings, terror attacks, They've gone to many places in Paris, scene of some terror attacks in the 2015 and 2016, to a school in Arizona that had a school shooting. Several were planted at some New York City hospitals in the wake of the early days of COVID. In 2017, a tree was planted in Charleston, the site of the Emanuel AME church shooting, where a young man went in to the middle of a Bible study and murdered people. Pastor Chip and Terry actually were at that site a few years ago. That gives me hope that these seedlings are being spread around, they're being shared in other places, and that that life comes up. And Jesus in John 12 says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Friends, you're the seeds. You're the seedlings. You're called by God.
to be a renaissance of reconciliation, to help to transform a broken world together in community. Pastor Tripp will be talking about some aspects of vision that we're going to be especially looking at this year. We'll talk about gathering in community, growing spiritually, guarding unity, and give some very practical ways that we can do those things. My prayer is that we will allow ourselves to be planted wherever God might lead us, that we might be desperately bringing people to receive a touch from Jesus as God continues to make us into his likeness. We can only do it by God's power. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder that your grace, your life are so powerful. Thank you for the survivor tree, which is just a a faint reminder of what you did on that tree so that we might have life and life eternal. Help us to live into the power of the resurrection, whether we feel that we've been stuck between concrete and burned and broken, rootless, lifeless. You can restore us, Lord. Help us to do that for others. Help us to help others see more clearly to see you, and most of all, we thank you for the incredible gift of salvation that happens in an instant, but takes a lifetime to live out. We can only do it by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.